Welcome everyone. Non-QM loans can be a great opportunity for mortgage lenders who have seen their origination volume drop drastically over the last year. But originating these loans requires underwriting expertise that can be hard to do at scale. On today's episode of Housing Wire Daily, I talked to reporter Connie Kim about last week's IMN non-QM conference and some of the changes in technology and GSE guidelines that could streamline non-QM lending. Connie, welcome back to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me again, Sarah. Glad to have you on. You have been writing some really interesting stories. One that I wanted to dig into was the fact that there are mortgage lenders who are expanding despite the challenging conditions. You know, we have done, um, you know, several articles. It seems like a couple every week mm-hmm. or more about the mortgage companies who are lenders or servicers or different companies who are laying off. But we know that there's also a lot of opportunity right now. So I, I was really interested in talking about you know, who's expanding and and what does that look like? Yeah. So right now, as you mentioned, we are seeing a lot of depressing news on the mortgage um, industry market because, you know, we're seeing lenders cut off a lot of their staff due to the shrinking origination market. But I think it's really important to highlight some of the bright news in the mortgage industry market because, you know, companies like Planet Home Lending, um, and, other, uh, and other companies, which I'll mention later, they are expanding to capitalize on the growing demand for home buyers in certain markets. And for instance, Planet Home Lending this month, they um, they have a new team in Portland, Oregon. It's going to be headed by sales managers as well as loan officers, where the team has an expertise in construction lending, and they're going to help buyers determine whether a construction loan is going to be a viable option. And they also mentioned that they're going to open other offices in Salem, Eugene, Medford, and the Bend, Redmond area. So we're going to see Planet Home Lending continue to expand across the country. And that area is such a hot market. They, you know, if they had more homes, they'd be selling more homes. Makes sense to me why a mortgage lender would be like, let's deploy some resources into, you know, some really hot areas on the coast. So great to see that happening. Who else is expanding? Yeah, so we have also seen Panorama Mortgage Group, a mortgage company headquartered in Nevada. Um, They added a full service mortgage lender, Rely Home Loans, which is based in Utah, to the group's umbrella of brands. And Rely Home Loans, they plan to expand into Florida and Arizona. And Panorama Mortgage Group, a firm that has more than five brands, they're going to get new leadership as Rely Home Loans president um, takes the helm. Um, Other companies that I also wanted to mention before we jump to the next um, is Geneva Financial. Um, They were they have about 130 branches, branch locations in 46 states, and they recently opened a new branch in Chicago. Now, Chicago's housing market started out pretty hot this year. If we look at the data recently released by Compass, about 1,820 homes were sold in the city in January alone, which is about a 7.2% 2% increase from the same time a year ago. So we might see um, more office branch expansions in the Windy City. Um, so we're going to be taking a closer look in the tight housing markets in the Midwest and the Northwest going forward. The Midwest has been uh, much hotter over the last year, last couple of years, but so interesting to see where expansions happening. You know, you mentioned with Rely Home Loans, Florida and Arizona, two super hot places where we're seeing people move from other more expensive markets into those areas. Um, And then Chicago and the Midwest. So we'll be keeping our eye on uh, where people are going and and what they're expanding into. Another thing that we see is that it's not just 
geographic expansion, but people are expanding the kind of products they're offering. And mm-hmm. you just got back uh, from a non-QM conference in Dana Point, California. So tell us a little bit about what that what the overall conference feel was like. Yeah. So it was the third non-QM conference hosted by the IMN. And there were hundreds of executives and analysts from mortgage lenders and rating agencies to talk about how hot the non-QM market is going to be this year, because as you know, it was a very stagnant period during the pandemic. So one of the sessions that I thought was very interesting was whether the non-QM products are going to be commoditized. Um, This one was quite split between rating agency companies and mortgage lenders and the tech tech companies that were trying to get into the non-QM market. So it was interesting to hear, for example, how an executive from DBRS Morningstar, um, she noted how there are a lot of different types of documentation accepted today with the increased demand for non-QM products. So she sees that it's a pretty commoditized space at this point and assets need to get verified. So it really comes down to reviewing underwriting guidelines. And underwriting guidelines, um, as you know, is one of the main challenges that are brought up by um, lenders that are trying to expand into this um, non-QM product um, market. So a lot of the mortgage executives that were kind of on the fence about whether non-QM products are going to be commoditized actually brought this point up, the difficulties of manual handwriting. Um, Because this can't be really scaled, um, they were kind of um, hesitant about how the non-QM products are going to be commoditized in the very near future. And non-QM, you know, it presents an opportunity for mortgage lenders and for homebuyers who have been looking to get into the market, but really might have a different, you know, source of income than a W-2. They might have, might be entrepreneurs. And so it is outside the typical credit box, but has a lot of opportunity there. One of the biggest challenges, as you've just alluded to, is how to scale it because non-QM underwriting takes a long time. Streamlining that process is very difficult. What what are some of the things that were talked about at the conference? Yeah. So one of the interesting aspects that were brought up in order to commoditize a non-QM market is to be able to have that tech platform to bring a lot of um, borrowers into the market. Because um, as I remember, one of the mortgage, one of the mortgage lender executives, um, he said that every origination deal in the non-QM market is unique. And hence the reason for hiring qualified underwriters who can prove borrowers' ability to repay. So I guess the difficulty of bringing a tech platform into the non-QM uh, market is how they're going to actually scale that under writing um, process into the tech platform, because at the end of the day, underwriters are going to have to go through the weeds to kind of go through the process and um, approve the non-QM products. Well, and one of the uh, things that, you know, some of the panelists talked about was, you know, this is an answer as other kind of volumes fall, right? This is the opportunity is to get into non-QM loans, jumbo loans, and whereas in the past, non-QM loans could really have been seen as sort of, you know, the, the infamous subprime loans of the past. Now we talk about as non-QM or non-prime because oftentimes the borrowers just have different characteristics or the loans have different characteristics, but it's not that they're bad loans. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So another part of the conference was the fact that, you know, do the GSEs need to start thinking about non-QM borrowers, right? And what makes something non-QM right now? is that the GSEs are not involved. Uh, Non-QM mm-hmm. is like, you know, outside a qualified mortgage definition. So tell me a little bit about that panel. 
Yeah, um, I think before we go into that, it's it's really important to note um, how much the industry is going to grow because um, industry players such as Angel Oak Mortgage Solutions, they believe the non-QM market could grow as much as fourfold this year, ranging between $70 billion to $100 billion. And from one of the panels, um, a chief executive officer at home, LLC, he said, um, you know, by the end of the decade, there is going to be about one in three workers who are going to be on 1099s running a small business. And he mentioned that, you know, although it's quite a fraction of the entire mortgage um, business right now, the need for bank statement mortgages, 1099 mortgages, could grow exponentially, potentially to 30% of the entire share over the next decade. Um, you know, and if that happens, the agency footprint is going to have to change and grow because they have the duty to serve to accommodate to those borrowers. Right. And so that's really a key. You know, in the past, this has been pretty uh, a small segment of the market. Different times it's it's gotten big. But if it really becomes one third, then then you really can see why the GSEs need to potentially expand who they're going to serve with agency loans. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that reminds me, um, a vice president at Citigroup, Chris Marazzo, he said that GSEs, they've actually been working to incorporate bank statements, which non-QM borrowers rely on as alternatives to payroll income into their analysis for a long time. So what he's going to be taking a look at closely going forward is whether GSEs are going to be opening the credit box, how lenders and investors are going to become more comfortable with affordability products that weren't in the market before. This is especially important or strategic right now when you think about the fact that the non-QM rule is going into effect in um, later this year, I think in October. And so the whole idea of the QM rule going into effect, it, it's something that was fought over for a couple of years. Um, and it's it really has to do with the um, debt to income limit of 43%. It has to do with some of the other things about how they're looking at borrowers, how they're looking at the loan. But this is a, a very pressing question considering that this is going to happen this year. Mm-hmm, exactly. And as you mentioned, with the revision of the QM rule, um, I remember one of the executives at Bank of America, he said that the boundaries between QM and non-QMs are going to be blurred. And, you know, a lot of mortgage products are going to be QM because the non-QM loans are going to meet the revised criteria of the QM rule um, that will go into compliance in October 2022, like you mentioned. This has been a, a years long fight. I mean, defining what is a qualified mortgage versus what is not has been um, hard fought in the trenches by the industry, by housing advocates, by people at the GSE level trying to hammer out exactly what this looks like. So it, you know, it's just another wrinkle in a very interesting story that a lot of these products that used to be um, non-QM will now maybe fall under that new definition. It also speaks to a larger GSE um, one of the things they're really looking at is the credit scoring and how you, you know, how we're going to decide what it is that's going to be included on a, a credit score, a consumer's credit score, opening up what they call the black box of credit scoring, which right now is um, pretty, pretty unknowable, right? How that FICO score gets to be what it is. Well, that that's a big part of what makes a, a QM loan is the scoring of the consumer. So again, we're right in the middle of some changes at the GSE level and it's possible the market is just going to, you know, the fact that more people are going to qualify under um, 
these non-QM, what's traditionally non-QM bank statement, whatever kind of loans. And the fact that so many more people will be in that category, I think is going to push the GSEs to look at this a little bit differently than they would have even uh, a year or two ago. Mm-hmm, exactly. <laughs> Tell us a little bit more about the, the non-QM conference. What were some of the other insights? Yeah. So um, another point that was raised during the conference was um, about Biden, the Biden administration's um, housing supply action plan. We heard earlier this month how the White House w- um, aims to expand the housing access for owners and renters through a combination of, in- of incentives and how they're going to help close America's housing supply shortfall in five years. Um, yeah. So another interesting point that was brought up by the mortgage executives was the White House's um, housing plan. As you remember earlier this month, the Biden administration introduced the Housing Supply Action Plan, which aims to expand housing access for owners and renters through a combination of incentives, reforms, and ultimately um, help close America's housing supply shortfall in five years. But what they cautioned it was that in terms of supply, the only thing that they're worried about is a massive oversupply of housing. Because if we look at different local markets, there are different vacancies and there are different amounts of housing inventory. Um, So for the sake of increasing housing supply across the market is only going to hurt the market because they're saying, you know, if the demand drops, who is going to absorb the units? So um, a lot of the mortgage, a lot of the executives cautioned on how they should be um, kind of leveling it out depending on local markets rather than delivering it um, exponentially on a national level. Well. I mean, we are so far under inventory, it's hard to imagine what that level would have to be um, that would destabilize the market. We're, we're at historically low inventory. I think we, we rose a little bit over the last week or so, um, but <laughs> we're, we're low, low, low. So it's, it's hard to imagine what that level would have to be. Yeah, um, I I remember reading from Logan, our our lead analyst, um, he said, you know, it's a savagely unhealthy market because we have to bring the housing inventory back up to the range of 1.52 and 1.92 million. So it'll be interesting to see how the government uh, manages to uh, bring back the supply of housing inventory in different local markets and how the housing market will turn back to a healthy market (laughs) um, as a lot of uh, analysts and executives want to see. Absolutely. The demand is there. We know that millennials are reaching their peak home buying age over the next couple of years. And so that demand hasn't gone anywhere. Meanwhile, you do still have all those people not just every year as people become that new home buying age, but people who wanted to buy a home over the last couple of years and just got beat out by different um, you know, bidding wars and, and couldn't compete. So I feel like the demand is going to be strong for a couple of years to come at least, but it'll be interesting to see what they think those local markets who maybe would, would be oversupplied are. It's, it's, as I said, hard to imagine, but Connie, thanks so much for uh, filling us in on the non-QM event and kind of what uh, leaders there were talking about. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me again, Sarah. How have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW+, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. 
With your HW Plus membership, you get access to longer-form digital content, the Housing Wire magazine, member-exclusive rates to in-person events like Housing Wire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.